today we are wrapping up our series called Real Ideal Family. And if today is your first time with us or your first time in a long time, then you are coming in at the very end of the movie. But the good news is you can go to our YouTube channel and you can catch up on all the parts that you've missed. And I've gotten so much incredible feedback. We have gotten so much incredible positive feedback from so many of you. Um, you've stopped by during the week these last couple of weeks and told me how much this has meant to you. I've got a ton of emails. I've even had a number of you who are watching online um, like three times. I got stopped at, at Kroger's, once at Lowe's, once at the gas station. People have said they saw this, you saw this, and how much this has meant to you and meant to your family. And I think part of the reason actually goes back to something that we said together right at the very beginning of the series, which is that family is emotional. And because of that, family is complicated, right? I mean, if we were having a conversation today and if I were to sit down with you and say to you, hey, tell me about your mom, tell me about your dad. Right? Those, those words, those names are going to bring up some strong feelings no matter how old you are. Right? For, for those of you who are parents, if I, if I were to say to you, hey, tell me about your son. Um, tell me about your daughter. Right? Those are not emotionally neutral terms. And, and the truth is, they were not meant to be. Right? And so because of that, consequently, one of the most dangerous lies, one of the most destructive lies that we can actually tell ourselves when it comes to family is just simply this. I, I don't care. I don't care. My dad walked out on us when we were young. I don't care. My, my, my brother, I haven't, I haven't talked to him in years, but, you know, I, I don't care. My mom, she left when we were like 15 years old, but that was a long time ago. I, I just don't care. My son, my daughter, I don't know what's wrong with them. We treated them the exact same way that we treated all of our other kids. I don't know what we did wrong. I, I just don't care. As a pastor... Right, who spent a lot of time with a lot of families and a lot of different situations. I have heard that statement said about a family member more times than I can count. I just don't care anymore. Now, I used to care, but it got emotional and it got complicated. The most harmful the most destructive lie that we tell ourselves about family, especially when it comes to immediate family, is I don't care. But listen, if you don't hear anything else I say to you today, right, I just hope that you hear this and I hope that you leave remembering this. You were, in fact, created to care. And see, here, here's the problem, right, and, and you know this. You can say that you don't care, and I can say that I don't care, and you can kind of turn your back on them, and you can run through life, and you can run through your 20s and not care, and you can run through your 30s and not care. And that, that tension between you and them, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger because what you didn't know is that you got a big old bungee strap wrapped around your waist. And by the time you get into your mid-40s, wham, you get yanked right back into the emotions of childhood. And all of a sudden, you're not living with mom and dad anymore. And your house is filled with a bunch of different people. In fact, mom and dad may not even be uh, alive anymore. And you wake up one morning and you're angry and you're frustrated and your perfectionistic tendencies just start going crazy and you're drinking more. And you've convinced yourself that, you know, it's all about my wife. It is all about my husband. If It's just those kids. It's those kids. If I could get those kids figured out, then everything would be fine. You've tried to convince yourself that you don't care, but you were created to care. And all of us. Right? All of us, every single one of us, all of us, we want the approval of our fathers. 
right? All of us, we want the approval of our mothers, right? All of us want the approval of that older brother, that older sister, those of you who are parents, right? Let's be honest, we want the approval of our kids, right? I want my sons to be proud of me. I want my sons to, 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 to look at me and to think that I'm their hero. That's in me as a father to want that. That's in you as a father to want that. Those of you who are mothers, right, you, you want your daughters to look at you one day and to think to themselves, you know, I hope that I can be um, a, as good as a mom as you've been someday. Right? Moms, that's in you, right, that's in you. If, you, if you're a mom, right, you, you were created to care. And yet the truth is, there are so many people, and, and I don't know, maybe you're watching today, maybe you're listening to this today, maybe you're actually here today, and maybe you have tried for years to convince yourself that you do not care, but this is the problem, you were created to care. And when you start whispering that lie to yourselves, and you start hearing yourself actually say that to the people around you, I've moved on, it's okay, I just don't care anymore, that is a terribly, terribly dangerous lie. I, I told you a couple of weeks ago, um, near the beginning of the series, uh, that um, I went to Wayne State for three and a half years, and then I went to Tyndale College um, for a couple of years after that for my undergrad. Um, by the time I got to my third year at Wayne State, you know, I was, a, I was in the engineering school, and I was studying mechanical engineering, and it was actually the summer uh, before my um, the summer before my, my senior year um, at Wayne that I decided that um, I was going to leave Wayne State and I was going um, to go to Tyndale. And so by this time, um, some of you will appreciate this, I had taken three semesters of calculus, differential equations, physics, right, chemistry, all the stuff, right, all the stuff. And so I remember being at my parents' house and telling my mom and dad, um, listen, I'm going to leave Wayne and I'm going to go to Tyndale. I'm going to get a Bible degree, right? Because that's what I feel like God is calling me into. And my mom, right, my mom um, was so excited. And my dad, to be fair, he was supportive, right? No, he was, he was very, he was supportive, right? And both of them, um, they continued to encourage me and support me. And when I graduated from Tyndale and I started working here at Faith in the student ministry, they would even come um, to, to many of the events that I would put on. Um, and, and they encouraged me in what I was doing. They even, they kept paying for my college tuition, even though I lost like 70 credits, seven zero credits when I transferred schools, right? And they kept paying for my tuition anyway. So they both supported me, um, and I had lots of people at this time in my life, I had lots of people, kids and adults, telling me that they were thankful for me and that they were supportive, of, or they were thankful for my ministry. Um, but there was always a part of me, if I'm honest, there's always a part of me that felt like I was letting my dad down, that I let him down. And so fast forward 14 years later, and I'm a pastor here at Faith, and I'm getting ready to preach to you all for the very first time on my very first weekend. And my mom and dad come to hear me preach that very first sermon. And that following week, I get an email from my dad that says, Joe, you are an excellent preacher, and I am so proud of you, my son. And I got that email, and I read that email, and I started to cry. And all of a sudden, I was taken back at 35 years of age. I was taken back to that conversation in my parents' kitchen in their home, and I relived that emotional experience. Why? 
because I was created to care. And those words from that man meant more to me. And in, that, in those 14, I literally had hundreds of people, hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of people tell me over the, those years, they were thankful for me, I was doing a good job, I was a good communicator, a good teacher. None of those things meant nearly as much as that one simple email from my dad. I printed the email out. It's still on the wall of my office to this very day. Why is it that those words from that one man mean so much? Right, parents, dads, don't miss this. Your children, your adult children, they need your words of encouragement. They do. It doesn't matter how old they are. They can be 50 years old like me. They need your words of encouragement. Bless them. Cheer them on. Celebrate with them. It doesn't matter how many years have gone by. It doesn't matter what the hurt or the pain is like. The truth is every single one of us, you and I, we were created to care. Especially when it comes to our family. Especially when it comes to our immediate family. And so today, as we wrap up this series together, what we are going to do together is not going to be fun, but it's oh so important. And so today, I want to talk to those of you who would say that you are, in fact, a follower of Jesus and that you really believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and you also believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And if that's you, then I want to talk to you today for just a couple of minutes about beginning or continuing the process of reconciliation in your life with that family member whom you're tempted to say, I don't care. And the reason we don't care is because we convince ourselves that somehow hardening our hearts is better. Because being sad is exhausting and being angry is even more exhausting. And somehow hardening our heart feels safe. It feels like the right thing to do. The problem is that ends up affecting all of your other relationships. I'm going to tell you right up front today, I'm going to push you a little bit. And I'm going to push you because I think you know this. I think you know that this is not only something that is good for you, but for those of us who would say that we are followers of Jesus, um, there is an even more compelling reason why we cannot just simply live indefinitely in the state of I don't care. And the reason is so compelling, it goes way beyond whether or not um, this provides any benefit for us personally. It goes way beyond whether or not this actually even works, whether or not there is, in fact, any actual reconciliation that takes place. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be honest with you today. Much of what I'm going to say to you today really doesn't apply to you except for the fact that I believe you were created to care as well. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I recognize that you've never actually placed yourself under the authority of Jesus. You've never placed yourself under the authority of Scripture. And so much of what I'm going to say to you today, um, the truth is, is optional for you. Right? But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, um, and for all of us, I would argue, um, this is in fact a battle. This is a battle that is worth fighting even 
if you lose. And let me just be very, very clear. I am not asking, I'm not going to tell anyone to re-enter into an abusive or re-enter into a harmful relationship. I'm not going to tell you to do anything to put your health or your safety at risk. I'm simply saying that when it comes to family, and especially immediate family, when it comes to the hurt and the pain and the trauma and the drama of the past, pursuing reconciliation is worth it. Even if you never get to the place where everyone says, okay, now I understand. Okay, now I'm going to apologize. Because let's be honest, it may never be that good. But regardless of that, this is a battle that's worth fighting even if you lose. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is why. Because Christ's love compels us. And this word compels is actually a very interesting word. It means um, that Christ's love for us, Jesus' love for us, that it limits our options, that it restricts our options, that it kind of narrows our, our focus, that the love of Jesus, Christ's love for us, actually compels us to reconcile even if it never works, right? Even if they shut the door in our faces. The reason we have to be open to reconciliation is because Jesus' love for us, it compels us because we believe that we are convinced that one died for all, right? And when we hear this, we understand that this is a reference to Jesus, but then the Apostle Paul goes on and he says this. He says, and therefore, all died. And it's like, Paul, what do, you, what do you mean all died? And the Apostle Paul says, listen, I'm glad you asked because he continues and he says, listen, Jesus Right? Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live. And if you no longer live, then you've died. Right? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's explaining what it is that he just said. You should no longer live for yourself, for myself, for themselves. Right? In other words, here's what, Jesus, what the Apostle Paul is saying. Jesus did what was uncomfortable for him, for you, and now because of that, Jesus is asking you to do something that's going to be uncomfortable for you, for him. The Apostle Paul is explaining that Jesus is asking us to say no to ourselves. Because in a couple of minutes, when I begin to kind of to, to press you, to be open to this um, idea of reconciling, with that family member whom you've said, I don't care, right? That mom, that dad, that sister, that brother, and you begin to argue with me in your mind and you tell me all the reasons I have no idea what I'm talking about and why this is a horrible idea, why it's never going to work, and why it is that what they did to you goes way beyond ever reconciling. I just want you to know, listen, I actually agree with you. Because I've actually heard many of your stories, and some of your stories are so horrible, like I get so mad at those people, I don't want to have anything to do with them either. I get it. But the Apostle Paul says to me and to you and to those of us who are followers of Jesus, Jesus' love for us, it compels us to say no to us in order to say yes to what it is that Jesus is asking of us. Because as we're going to see in a minute, the Apostle Paul is going to remind us that Jesus has reconciled us to God. And because he has reconciled us to God, we therefore, just out of gratitude, right, out of sheer gratitude, we say yes to Jesus. Like, Jesus, before you even ask, I just want you to know that the answer is yes. And if what you're asking me to do, Jesus, rubs up against what I want to do, then I am dying to myself. I am saying no to myself because I no longer live for myself. Instead, I live for him 
for you, Jesus. I live for him who died for them, that's you, and who was raised again. Because, the Apostle Paul reminds us, anyone, right, anyone, so everyone, anyone who is in Christ, everyone who is in Christ is, in fact, a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All of this, this whole idea of reconciling, this whole idea of restoring broken relationships, all of this, the Apostle Paul tells us, all of this is from God. And so how did God do it? Well, he reconciled us to himself through Christ. And this word reconciled is a really important word. We're going to talk about this a lot today. Because what this means is you take two things that are not compatible and you're going to do something to one or both of these things to kind of make them compatible. And so a great picture of this, a great illustration of this is actually um, what a locksmith does when a locksmith takes a blank key and puts it into a lock and that, that key does not open that lock. The locksmith takes that key out and works on the key and works on the key and works on the key until finally that key fits perfectly in the lock and it opens the lock. That is the locksmith reconciling the key to the lock. And the Apostle Paul is telling us, okay, your Heavenly Father, through Jesus, took you and he took me, who were incompatible with God. We were the ones who were incompatible with God. And Jesus did something to himself, not to you. Jesus did something to himself so that that door could be opened between us and our Heavenly Father. Right, and see, here's the amazing thing, right? Paul reminds us that God, who is perfect, he is the one who initiated this whole process, right? He is the one who took on the responsibility of making reconciliation possible, even though it was our sin that made us incompatible with him in the first place. That we were guilty, and yet God pursued reconciliation. That we caused a problem, but God is the one who pursued a solution. That we were at odds with God. But God is the one who moved in our direction to begin a new relationship with us. Paul is saying, okay, through Jesus, God has removed, right? God has removed every obstacle to you reconciling with God, except you. The only obstacle that remains between you and God being reconciled together, it's actually just you. God set the table, he opened the door, he actually sent you an invitation. The only thing that keeps you or me from reconciling with God is you. Now you've got to admit it, that is amazing. And that is absolutely, that is absolutely the ideal. That God looked at you and he looked at me with my sin and my brokenness and the fact that even for many of us for years we didn't even believe that there actually was a God. And he did everything he could possibly do. He removed every single obstacle to you being reconciled with him. The only thing that remains is you. He took on all the responsibility of it. He removed all the obstacles from it. He initiated the whole thing. In other words, God did not do what we do. God did not look at us and say, okay, I'll meet you halfway. If you admit that you were wrong, I'll admit that I was wrong. God does not do that. And see, here's the part that we don't think about too often. God was the innocent party. I was the guilty party. And everybody knows the innocent party has all the right in the world to say to the guilty party, listen, I'm done with you. 
You hurt me, you stole from me, you embarrassed me, I'm done with you. No, God, God says, I'm going to begin the whole process of reconciliation even though I have no obligation to, even though nobody would expect me to. When you became a follower of Jesus, you were reconciled with your heavenly father. For some of you, it wasn't even that long ago. You came to God with a past, he reconciled you anyway. You came to God with a, a whole bunch of issues going on in your life, he reconciled you anyway. And then on top of all that, the Apostle Paul reminds us, he, that's God, right, he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Right, in other words, what, what he's saying is, listen, your entire life, Everything about your life, how you handle your life, how you handle your money, how you handle your relationships, how you handle your anger, how you handle your frustration, how you handle the disappointments, how you handle the celebrations. Every element of your life, your whole life is to be a message. That my whole life is to be a message. Not just the words that I say, but including the words that I say. Right? That our entire life is to be a message to everyone in our world, personally and corporately, that, you know what, you can actually be reconciled to God. Hey, I, I don't know if you, you realize this, but you can be reconciled to God. God, did you know that God has removed every obstacle? That God has removed every barrier? There is nothing that is preventing you from being reconciled to God. God, Paul says, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Right? This is what the Apostle Paul is explaining. Our life and our lifestyle. Right? The, your life as a follower of Jesus. Every part of who you are. Everything that God has given you to manage in, in this life. All of it is to be a message to other people. To people we know. People around us. People that we're connected to. That hey, did you know? There is nothing preventing you from being reconciled to your Heavenly Father. He's removed every obstacle, your past sin, your present sin. He's even taken care of your future sin. That God, through Jesus, has decided to not count people's sins against them. Right? The reason we can be reconciled to God is because God has decided that through Jesus, he is no longer counting people's sins against them this is it's amazing this is what your heavenly father has promised to you and has done for you through jesus which actually brings us to the problem as it comes to this whole idea of reconciliation because see to understand this whole idea of reconciliation is really to understand this very simple phrase in spite of right in spite of it's a relationship in spite of that's what that's what reconciliation is all about. But see, the problem is, I don't want to be reconciled to you because of. I, I don't want to be reconciled to you because of the way that you treated me. I, I don't want to be reconciled to you because of the way that you hurt me. I, I don't want to be reconciled to you because, because I just don't like how you talk about me behind my back. But see, our Heavenly Father says to us, listen, no, I don't want you to take your cues from them. No, I want you to take your cues from me. And I reconciled with you in spite of, not because of. That's why as followers of Jesus, Paul tells us that God, right, God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And then Paul repeats himself because he wants to make sure that us Jesus followers understand this is not optional for us. And he says this in verse 20, he says, we therefore, you and I as followers of Jesus, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. That our lives, 
are to be all about the message, all about bringing Jesus into the lives of people, that our lives are all to be about, hey, there is nothing preventing you from being reconciled to your Heavenly Father. Every obstacle has been removed. That's our message, and that's the gospel. And that's what is to characterize how we interact with people. That's the ideal. And here's the problem, and it comes in like a raging dump truck. That means that if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, our message to our families can very quickly end up being this. You can be reconciled to God in spite of your sin, but you cannot be reconciled to me because of my sin. Now, there is a truckload of tension sitting in this one for all of us, right? This is real. This is reality. This is where we live. So I want to give to you three scenarios um, about how we take um, this ideal of reconciliation and how we actually try to apply it into the very messy real of our lives. And I can't promise you that I can answer all of your questions. I can't do that. All I can tell you is what I've experienced in my life and how God has worked to make reconciliation happen and even the times where it hasn't been able to happen and why. So the first scenario is simply this. A highly, emotion, a highly or emotionally, physically abusive relationship. I have personally been the victim of two violent crimes in the course of my life. Um, one was physical and the other was sexual. Now neither of these two incidents were random. Both of them occurred um, because of somebody that I knew and somebody who I was in relationship with at the time. And in the first circumstance I was actually a part of making sure that the person who assaulted me was prosecuted and ultimately held accountable and then ultimately um, actually spent some time in jail. And I have prayed for this person. Um, I have prayed for them both for emotional healing and I have prayed and asked God uh, for their salvation. And my genuine hope is that this person has received the help that they need. But I feel no responsibility to try to go and find this person and seek them out and restart a relationship with this individual. I don't think I did anything wrong by holding them accountable for their actions. In fact, my hope is that by holding this person accountable for his actions that I hopefully in some way spared somebody else from going through the pain and the trauma and the physical abuse that I went through. Now, the second individual um, actually sought me out over social media about 15 years after the assault took place. And this person asked um, over social media for my forgiveness. And I was actually able to say to this person um, that because I am a follower of Jesus, I've, I've actually already forgiven you. I, I forgave you before um, you even asked me to forgive you. Now, as you can imagine, uh, we had a dialogue over email for about a week and a half. Um, and as you can imagine, he was absolutely shocked um, to get that response. That is, he said in his email um, that he never, ever, ever imagined that I would actually respond to him that way. And I told him um, that because he already had my forgiveness, 
um, that what he needed now more than anything else was to be forgiven by Jesus. And that Jesus' forgiveness for him was absolutely just as real as Jesus' forgiveness was for me. Now, again, I have no plans to try to go find this individual and try to go reestablish some kind of a relationship with them. I have genuinely forgiven them, both of these people. But I do not trust them. Now, because there is no trust between us, there is no relationship. But what there is, and this is huge, don't miss this, what there is, is peace. There's peace. There's peace on both sides of these tragedies. Now, the second scenario is this one um, right here. Um, an emotionally complicated and difficult relationship, but it's not physically abusive. I have other relationships um, with people who are in much closer proximity to me um, that are unfortunately broken um, because of ongoing sin against me personally and against uh, my family. And I see these people in my regular life, um, and the behavior is repeated over and over and over again, even um, when they've been asked to stop, even when the behavior has been explained and, and, um, and they've been asked to change their behavior, um, it just continues. And so I have chosen um, to forgive these people over and over and over again in spite of their sin towards me because that is what Jesus has done for me. And I have decided to treat each of them with dignity and with respect because that is how Jesus treats me. And I do not let their behavior towards me change who I am as a follower of Jesus. But because we are not currently reconciled, I have chosen to live out a relationship with them that's summarized in Romans chapter 12 that says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I do this with the very specific hope and in the regular prayer of asking God that somehow that relationship, those relationships, will someday in the future be reconciled. Now, I'm also very thankful to say that I have other relationships with people um, who are in my life who are committed to resolving conflict when conflict actually occurs. Again, this is the ideal, whether it's in family or it's in friendship. Right now, even though we're both committed to the same thing, it's never easy. Right? Resolving conflict it is never easy. It's always emotional. It's always easier to avoid rather than it is to work towards. But as we said earlier, this is a battle that's worth fighting, especially with family, even if you lose. But for there to be actual reconciliation that takes place between two people, two parties, whatever it is, there has to be forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness and trust is what leads to reconciliation. I can choose, you can choose to forgive anyone for anything at any time. You don't even need to speak to a person to forgive that individual. Now, that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But there cannot be a relationship with an individual when there's no trust. 
This is what's so amazing about what our Heavenly Father actually did for us with him through Jesus. He not only forgave our sin, that's great, we talk about all that all the time. But what he really did that's incredible is that he restored trust between us and himself through Jesus so that we could be reconciled to him. The hard truth about relationships is that sometimes there are relationships which remain unreconciled because there is no trust on this side of eternity. But that does not mean that we get to stop pursuing reconciliation. Right? The reason it's difficult to do what we're doing or what we're talking about doing, the reason this is so emotionally um, challenging for some of us to even think about is because it's hard. It is hard. And as a follower of Jesus, Jesus has called us to do hard things. Now, I know what you're thinking here because there's a bunch of objections that all of us have towards this. So really quick, I'm just going to cover the, 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 the kind of the big three. Um, the, the first is just simply this one, right? It's just so complicated. Joe, that's so great. You have no idea what you're talking about because it's so complicated, right? It's so complicated. If you knew, if you only knew, it's not like there's an elephant in the room when it comes to this. There's like a whole circus load. There's like a whole train load of elephants running around and they're running around in all the rooms, right? So here's, here's the challenge, right? Reconciliation, pursuing reconciliation is not about tying up loose ends. That's not reconciliation. That's not what reconciliation is about. It's not about sitting down one more time. We're going to hash out all the details so we see eyeball to eyeball and all these things so you see the world my way. That's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is simply I want a relationship with you in spite of. Now, the second objection is this. Okay, well, if I do that, if I actually reconcile with this person, then it's going to look like I'm condoning their behavior, right? Because, you know, my mom moved in with that guy, and my dad's living with that woman. And my brother and, and, and my sister, and if I go over there and if I invite them over to our house, it's going to look like I approve of their relationship, that I'm condoning their relationship, that I'm, I'm, I'm saying that their relationship is okay. Listen, if you ever get accused of condoning a relationship because you're trying to reconcile a relationship, then congratulations. You're even more like Jesus because that's literally what Jesus got accused of doing all the time. The whole reason Jesus came into this world was to live in such a way that was in such stark contrast of what we were doing while at the very same time, Right At the very same time, communicating to us that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us so much, He actually wants to be with us. Right? This is what we're going to celebrate together in like eight weeks. Right? Those of you who grew up in church, you know the word, Emmanuel. Right? Emmanuel. God is with us. Third objection. Okay, that's nice, Joe. I didn't think about it that way. But you just got to understand, it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. You don't know my family. You don't know, you don't know these people. You don't know them. It's just not going to work. So what? So what if it doesn't work on them? Listen, it's going to work on you. Attempts at reconciliation always work on someone. 
One of the reasons why this is so important to stay engaged in this process is because attempting to reconcile, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, it keeps all those feelings, all those emotions of anger, all that disappointment, all that rejection, all that hurt, it keeps it focused where it belongs and not on all the other people in your life. Attempts at reconciliation always work on somebody. And maybe, just maybe, most of the work is going to be done in you, and on you, and on me. Because Christ's love compels us to open the door to set the table, open the door, and send the invitation to do everything in our power to make reconciliation possible, even, even if they never choose to respond. Now, here's how we're going to end today. I want to end not only this message today, but really just kind of close up this whole series. I, I've asked um, our worship team to, to close us in a very specific song. And, and I want you to just listen to the words of this song. But while you're listening, this is the part I'm pushing a little bit, I know. I want you to be asking the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind who is that I don't care person in my life. And I want you asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do about it? Not what do I want to do about it, because we already know the answer to that question. We've already been down that road. No, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Because you're a follower of Jesus, and you have been reconciled. So Holy Spirit, what do you want me 